listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thank you for joining us for episode 236. What's going on, Mark? Paige, there's people here. I know, it's kind of <laughs> creeping me out. Yeah, so we're actually in Denver, Colorado today at Crossfire's uh, management. management event. So thank you for each and everybody out here for inviting us in. We've had a great time so far. Good food. Yes. Right? Hopefully did a little education. Speaking of a little education, we have a review, don't we? We do. It's a five-star and it's best oil and gas podcast. Love the show. I always learn something interesting. Why are Democrat voters okay with Biden supporting Russian oil and gas, but Keystone's bad? Is the hydrogen economy for real? Winners, losers? What's the best thing that can happen in the 2022 election? Also, Epstein didn't kill himself. Who's that from? (laughs) Surf Addict, which has left a review before. Yeah, so Surf Addict, I can't answer all these questions. <laughs> Don't get me Clinton, man. <laughs> but do really appreciate the review. And if you want to shout out the show, just like Surf Addict, leave us a review. We love five-star reviews, but if you, there's something we need to improve, we'll take a three-star review. Just let us know what we need to change. All right, let's get into the new stars, Mark. Let's do it. Liberty CEO throws shade at North Face with slick thank you campaign. This is literally my favorite story of the year. You actually interviewed him, didn't you? Yes, I did. So once again, Liberty's out there drawing attention to the misconceptions around the oil and gas industry and also the hypocrisy of a lot of companies out there. So if you don't know the story, and I don't know how you could not know the story. Basically, here. <laughs> basically, North Face refused to do business with an oil field service company because they were in the oil and gas industry. North Face says you're destroying the planet. And the oil and gas industry paused. And then they said, wait, your business could not exist without us. Everything you make... What they figure, 91% of all of their products are made from hydrocarbons? I believe so. Yeah, 60% of all the materials they use are actually made he from hydrocarbons? He couldn't find a single thing that wasn't made from hydro- hydrocarbons. Yeah. So, you know, once again, North Face, get your ducks in a row. And a big shout out to Chris Wright and Liberty and everybody else there that's holding the torch for our industry. It's actually standing up, towing the line, and making sure that we make a difference and get the truth out there. So there's a link in the show notes if you want to watch the video. It's actually very, very well done. Very well done. What's next? Bettering Human Lives 2020 ESG Report. So earlier today, we talked about ESG, and it wasn't the most popular thing we talked about today. Y'all should go to the show, check this out. This is the same company, Liberty Oilfield Services, doing their ESG report. And so they get really deep into climate impact, the benefits of hydrocarbons, how climate death has declined over 90% in the last 100 years because of hydrocarbons. There's a bunch of good reference material in there. So if you're on the side where you appreciate the oil and gas industry, not only go check this out, save a copy of it, because this gives you all the facts, all the data for when people come to you and want to have a conversation about how we're destroying the planet. You can actually show them with facts how that's not true. And not only is it not true, but the benefits to mankind far outweigh the any negatives that, that are out there. So, you know, once again, you know, Chris Wright spent some money on this. Hats off to Liberty for spending the time and the resources to put together their ESG report, which when it goes really deep into global warming, it's some really good data in there. So, you know, once again, audience, go to the show notes, you know, scroll up or left, depending if you're Android, IRS, click on this link and save a copy of this. This is useful. Yeah, it's about 84 pages. All right. Readable? No, <laughs> no. All right. Shell said to consider sale largest oil field in the U.S. valued up to $10 billion, which you brought up earlier. 
Yeah, it's funny how stuff that's important gets brought up in real life and also on this show. So this is Shell. If you haven't heard yet, they're looking at selling most, if not all, of their Permian assets. Shell's under pressure. Remember our last show, or maybe before the show before last, we talked about how the Dutch court ruled they had to reduce their CO2 emissions much more than they originally wanted to. And so what's going on here is Shell is looking at something that is a financial asset but a public relations nightmare for them. And so what they're doing is is the easiest thing to do is just get rid of it. They struggled in the unconventionals as all the super majors had. I have a really funny story about this. So when Shell first entered the unconventionals, their drilling checklist page was 2,000 line items. (laughs) They reduced that to 200. Oh. From 2,200. So they drove efficiencies, right? So, But still – They've always struggled in the, they've never been as profitable as the independents. They do make money at this, but what they're really doing, it's it's not that they're getting rid of an underperforming asset, they're getting rid of a PR asset. It just, it makes sense to them. It doesn't make sense to me, but it makes sense to show. All right. So the next one is Keystone XL Pipeline Project is officially dead. Yeah. I, you is- know, what is and was, I guess I should say was now, what was simply an infrastructure project became this like political battleground. And it's just, it's utterly ridiculous. Because you know what, Paige, an audience, actually audience on the microphone, audience here in person, that crude is needed by the U.S. for a very specific reason. Our refineries are set up and designed to process heavy, complex crudes. It's a technology challenge. Most of the world can't do it. We're one of the few countries that can, but we get better yields out of it. There's only a couple of places that you get heavy, complex crude. Canada, Venezuela, the Middle East, Deepwater Gulf of Mexico. So what happens is we produce light sweet crudes here in the U.S., which are ridiculously easy to refine. You basically boil it. And so what we do is we sell our light sweet crudes to the rest of the world that need it, like Central South America, because they don't have the complex refineries we have. And then we buy heavy complex crudes. So number one, this keeps this helps the Canadian economy immensely. We're the biggest buyer of their crudes. But we still need these heavy crudes. So if we don't have pipeline, which is the safest way to move anything, it's still being moved. These hydrocarbons are still being moved. They're still being moved by truck, by rail. And the odds are that now Canada is going to start selling these crudes to other countries. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I think of quality of air and water emissions, China doesn't rank real high on my list, right? We, we rank really high. We take care of stuff. So from an environmental point of view, it makes more sense for us to buy this heavy complex crude than for Canada to sell it. Now, what they also don't talk about in this article is the fact that there's a whole bunch of other pipelines being built, parts and pieces to move this crude from Canada here. So even though they kill this project, eventually most of that crude will be moved by pipelines. But we have to build those pipelines, which guess what, Paige? What? You know what this room does? Don't you do a lot of pipelines? pipelines? <laughs> yeah? yeah? Okay. Yeah, so the Keystone Project is a political failure. It should have just been an infrastructure. It should have been completed a long time ago. We lost jobs. We lost revenue. We lost the safest way to remove that Canadian crew down here to the Gulf Coast. But it's also opportunities because now other pipelines need to be built. What's next? Indigenous group wants 100% of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. So this has been brewing for a while. And it's it, what I find, I'm not going to say funny because it's really not. But what I find interesting about this is this is a project called Project Reconciliation. And so you have, it's the Trans Mountain Oilfield Pipeline. They're expanding the pipeline. They're upgrading it. And this local indigenous group, this Indian group, has some ownership in it already. 
and they want more ownership. And if you remember, this pipeline, I think, was actually bought from Kinder Morgan yes. a few years ago, right? So once they, once they get the upgrades done, once they get the expansion done, the Canadian government has said that they will give more ownership to this indigenous group. Now, here's where it gets funny. There are other indigenous groups that are fighting this. So I'm not going to say the Indians are fighting the Indians in Canada over a pipeline, but literally that's what's going on. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the Canadian courts because they're, they're very – they have more of a liberal leaning right now. Right. So it may be that one indigenous group that wants to own this pipeline and operates it loses it. And what they wanted to do with that money is invest it as a fund for their people, education, schools, medical care, all that sort of stuff. So I'm not really sure why the other indigenous group doesn't want to just join in and share in the prosperity and instead of fighting something that's actually good for everybody, including their own people. Because people are dramatic. Yeah. So, you know, let's see where that goes. I, I got a feeling this is going to be tied up in courts for years. Yeah. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on this and we'll, we'll come back to you whenever anything changes. All right. So the next article is G7 Harden's stance on fossil fuels. Coal is the tar- first target. So. If I was reading this earlier, I was going, oh, my God, like, like, is this really happening? And so G7 is, is the, you know, if you don't know, is the top seven countries from an economic point of view that have gotten together and they agree upon stuff to help each other, to help the planet, to help mankind. Well, that's what's supposed to have happened. So I'm going through this and what they're saying is that by the end of this year, by the end of 2021, that these seven countries will stop all federal funding of coal exploration and production, not the actual power plants, but actually the government won't actually finance any more coal coal production. And so I'm going like, this is insane. Do they know what this is going to do to like the cost of electricity and everything? And so I'm reading through it. And so when you get to about halfway through, and this thing takes forever to read, there's a section that says, we all agree to this no matter what, except if one of the countries has a reason to not do it, then they don't have to do it. So they literally put their own out in their own agreement, but it's buried on page like 7,394, right? So publicly they're saying, we all agree that we're going to stop financing the coal, but then buried in in the language is, but if we don't want to do it, we don't have to do it. Okay. Like how much money and time do they spend coming up with this agreement? Getting all the <laughs> and which, by the way, when they all met, did they ride horses? What? When they all, when they all no, they didn't. How'd they they get there. Jets. Yeah, isn't that a bit hypocritical? Of course it is. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm not keeping my eye on this. I already know where this is going to go. So it's just another little bit of hypocrisy from the world's governments around hydrocarbons. All right. So global LNG market moves to recover from 2020 turbulence. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting about LNG. Exxon kind of initially led the push years ago when Rex Tillerson was CEO. And I agreed with him at that time that LNG was the fuel of the future. Just by switching countries from coal to natural gas, you drop emissions by 60% without doing anything else. And this is something that I was going to talk about earlier when I was speaking, but I decided to save it for the podcast. So audiences here in person and in the cyber world, have you ever stopped for a minute and wondered why does a barrel of WTI or, or any crude that's going for $70 today in, in Houston, how is it also exactly $70 in Tokyo and exactly $70 in Rio de Janeiro? Have you ever wondered about that? Like how does anybody want to take a guess? Cause nobody ever gets this right. Why is why, how can it be the exact price? I'll tell you why. Because we have the global infrastructure to move that crude oil around the world for almost nothing. At any one time, there's more weight in crude oil in our world's oceans than the weight of all the fish combined. 
That's how much oil is being moved. And it costs almost nothing to move oil in a super tanker or a pipeline. So we had this infrastructure. So if you don't want to pay $70 today in Houston for literally pennies, I can move it to Tokyo and sell it for $70. So it's one of the true few global commodities because of the infrastructure. Now think about natural gas. That infrastructure doesn't exist, right? So we weren't able to move it around the world until we figured out that we could turn natural gas into a liquid, which is what LNG is. Now you can move it around the world. And so up until, say, 2020, I was firmly convinced that what Exxon was thinking and what a lot of the people thinking was, was what's going to happen is we're going to move toward an LNG-fueled future. And that's why you saw all the investments in the production of LNG, the terminals, the regasification plants, and all of that. Now, with the way the world's politics are going, I'm really afraid that somehow we're going to try to skip this. The cool thing is the LNG market is actually coming back. Prices are going up. We have almost everything built to be a world leader in exporting LNG. And one of the things that we can do with this from a political point of view, and I love you, Russia. I'm not throwing any shade your way, but you know, Russia has a chokehold on Europe's energy supply. Mm-hmm. We can fix it. Okay. We can ship LNG to Europe cheaper or at the same price they're getting Russian gas for. The problem is, will the public let us do it? Right. So one of the things that's going on in the East Coast, which is retarded, is they won't let them build pipelines to bring in natural gas from Pennsylvania. And it's only certain states. So you know what those states are doing, Paige? Aren't they getting it some, from somewhere They're buying way Russian the LNG yeah, okay. through the Caribbean. <laughs> like, that makes more sense. So, you know, I'm glad the LNG market's picking back up. It really should be the fuel of the future. We have to keep an eye on this. With so much money invested by not only super majors, but also from the technology point of view and from government and government agencies. I don't think it's going anywhere. We just need the consumption to start creeping up. Okay, so next article is McDermott Nets two EPCC refinery deals. What does EPCC stand for? It's not Engineering Project Construction and Procurement. What does the other C? Does anybody know in the audience? EPCC? Boy, they are tired after lunch. Right? <laughs> commissioning. At least it's somebody should have Googled it while I was talking and act like a genius. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what that is. Anyway, so a couple of big deals on the downstream side for, for McDermott. McDermott's one of the very large EPCs. If you don't know, they build stuff that, that's just immense, the scale and scope. They had some problems just a couple of years ago. They've come through that. But what's interesting is India's investment in their own energy independence, right? So unlike a lot of countries that either produce hydrocarbons and sell it but don't refine it or refine it but buy an open market india is trying to get the entire value chain so it's really interesting to watch them watch mcdermott come in and do these downstream projects petrochemicals and also fuel refining for the indian people you know i spoke earlier about lg being the fuel of the future india in my opinion i think will pass up in my lifetime china both in gdp and also population but in order to do that they need cheap reliable abundant energy which today they do not have Unfortunately, if you go to do in India right now to do business, they have rolling blackouts and they accept it as normal because they don't have enough supply for their people. They also struggle with educating, especially their poorer people. And in order to fix both those problems, they need more cheaper, reliable, but energy and they're doing it themselves. So this is just another piece of the pie they're putting together. You know, congratulations for McDermott for winning that RFP. I'm sure it was a lot of work, just the team to submit that. But this is all good stuff. This is good for India. This is good for McDermott. It's good for the world. All right, so next article, after colonial attack, energy companies rush to secure cyber insurance. You know what's happening in the cyber insurance world right now, Paige? Boom. Rates are going through the roof. I'm sure. So it's really interesting. So only 40% of pipeline operating companies even have any type of cyber insurance. 
Now the rates are going up anywhere between 25 and 40% because of what happened in the Colonial Pipeline. And so now the companies that didn't have it now can't afford it, right? So it's a really interesting place. And the other thing that's interesting about this is this is spurring a lot of anti-ransomware technology startups. So just in the last year, there's been about a half a dozen of them stand up, and they're using artificial intelligence basically to outwit the ransomware before the human even knows it's there. Interesting. The problem with cybersecurity most of the time is not the technology, it's the people. So it's the people that cause the problem. It's the people that pick up the USB drive and plug in the computer and go, I wonder what's on it. Well, no, you don't do that. <laughs> or it's the people that see HVAC guys. This is what happened to Target. The bad guy stole HVAC uniforms and just walked in the Target data center. Nobody even questioned. Just, they just walked in. You used in. to be able to walk into any place with a hard hat, huh, Mark? That's another story. <laughs> I, long, a million years ago, I worked for the phone company, Bell South. And so I put my Bell South hard hat on it. I just walk into Halliburton because back then, not, nobody would ever question a phone guy, right? And I just walk in and go, go do my stuff. But anyway, so the cybersecurity thing is interesting from a business point of view because now you need it. The cybersecurity insurers are now doing much more strenuous cyber tests before they issue the insurance to determine the rates. And so, and the companies that don't have it can't afford it, which means that the companies that don't have it are probably prime targets, right? Which is That's unfortunate. Yeah, which and is unfair. If you think about it, it's it's a weird type of competitive environment that's going to change the pipeline industry, especially from a technical point of view. I don't know how. Like, is this going to cause consolidations on, from the tech point of view? You know, a lot of other industries have their technology consolidate across. They have one technology center across all their different physical locations. And the pipeline world is not done that way. It's all the control rooms, right? Which coming through 2020, the pipeline companies went from there's no way we'll ever have remote operations because it's not safe to we have to have remote operations. I guarantee you that opened up a bunch of holes for the bad guys to come in, just even allowing remote operations. So this is a very interesting world that we're in where the bad guys could actually make money doing this sort of stuff. And the good guys have to spend money to keep this sort of things from happening. Yeah, but what happened with the Colonial, they pretty much got all their money back. Well, that is very unique, very unique story. But if you don't know the story, they got hit with a ransomware attack. They actually paid the five million. Was it? It's not, it's not a fee. Yeah, it's five million. Ticket. They paid the ransom. The ransom. Yeah, five million dollars. <laughs> and then the the bad guys gave them the key to unlock the encryption. But Colonial was able to recover quicker from their own disaster recovery backups. Right. So it's just it's a weird weird place. And then our government got involved. That's the reason they got the money back. So you know this is this interesting thing. And then the latest thing, even though we know exactly, literally the people's names that did that attack and we know where they are which happened to be in russia and now you're having russia say they had nothing to do with this it. like it's, it's oh, yeah, in okay. your country we know right. it's in your country and once again i'm not picking on russians i'm just you know the point I am. is that you can <laughs> you can launch a cyber attack from anywhere now and our infrastructure every year is becoming more and more vulnerable for cyber attacks because we're moving further and further down the technology maturity curve so really interesting place to be but the insurance thing is what really got me interested in this article is the fact that the insurance is going up so much on cybersecurity all right, so Texas forms new group to weigh pros, cons of repurposing oil-filled wastewater. So I didn't even know this was going on. So this is a great article you found. So basically, if you don't know this, when you drill for anything in the ground, you hit water. It's naturally there, and that water is naturally salty. It's a lot of times naturally radioactive, and in the oil field, we call it produced water. It's not something you want to drink. It's not something you want to water your crops with. You can clean it up. But it costs a lot. And up until just recently, it was actually cheaper just to go get fresh water than they're trying to clean up your produce water. So what this group is doing in Texas is they come together, and the first thing they're doing is they're identifying all the chemicals that can be found in produce water, both the natural chemical 
and also the man-introduced chemicals. Mm-hmm. Once they have them identified, then they're going to be able to go out and find technologies to remove this. And their goal is to actually, as a consortium, no matter which the operator is, the goal is to have the state of Texas manage produced water as an asset. Right, so ultimately, if, if this thing works, and there's a lot of ifs because you got to get a lot of different government agencies, a lot of private companies all in the same boat, which is always almost impossible. But if you pull this off, what's basically going to happen is you're going to have a produced water marketplace in Texas. So when you go to drill and you go to frack, you tap into this produced water that's been cleaned up, and you can do it much cheaper than buying fresh water now, and you don't have to touch any of the fresh water. And then ultimately, what they want to do is they want to be able to clean it up so good that they actually can not only use it to water crops but certified organic crops. That's their goal, which I think is awesome. So let's keep an eye on this because this is really cool. Yeah, and if anybody's interested in looking up the Senate bill, it's 601. So next article is U.S. pipeline operators face cybersecurity compliance deadline. Which you know where that is? The deadline is? What? It's the end of this month. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So for anybody out there listening that works in IT and you have that email from somebody saying, make sure our cybersecurity is secure, you got, by the time you listen to the show, you probably got five days to get it done. (laughs) (laughs) But so one of the things that's kind of cool about this is the fact that the deadlines go force companies to do something. A lot of companies have done nothing, right? And we talked earlier how the price of insurance has went up. Well, if you can't afford insurance, cybersecurity insurance, you could take some of that money and harden your facilities. And there's a lot of tech companies out there that are experts at this. And once again, I get to pick on Russia again. A lot of the best anti-cyber security or some of the best cybersecurity experts in the world come out of Russia, right? So this is just an opportunity for companies that are in this world to make a little bit of money knowing that there's a deadline. Now, the other thing about this is I don't know if the deadline – there's some vague language on how it's being enforced. So even though it's a law and they have to do it, it doesn't look like they have, they've figured out any way to enforce it. So I don't think that they're going to actually start coming around and auditing companies yet. But I'm telling you, people, if, if you don't have a robust – actually, go find your, your head of IT, whether it's a CIO or whatever, and ask him how secure your facilities and watch his face. If nothing changes on his face, you're probably pretty good. If he rolls his eyes, you need to give him some money because that's always what it is. IT people are always looking for budget for more security, and the business doesn't always see the value in it until something happens like with Colonial. Until it's too late. Until it's too late. All right, so the final article is key win for Unbridge Oil Pipeline as Minnesota Court Affirms Regulator Approval. I don't know how many, I don't know how many hurdles this company has been through to get this Line 3 pipeline done. You know, this is an old pipeline they're trying to bring up to modern standards. I believe it carries the oil sands, the heavy crude from Alberta out. And this has been in court for literally years, at least five years, if not longer than that. So it looks like this is the second to last hurdle before they can actually start actually doing work on it. And the problem, once again, is the activists. Right. Um, the activists have done everything they could possibly do. And actually, some of it's pretty smart. I have to give them credit for, for understanding how to pull the heartstrings of people. They got the indigenous groups on their side. They're worried about spills with more of the wetlands and everything. And here's my question. That pipeline's been there since 1968, right? It hasn't leaked. So, so, so what's the problem? So you're telling me if we build a more <laughs> modern pipeline to replace this one that you're worried that it's going to leak? Pipelines are the safest way to move anything. And then the other thing is it could leak, right? We do have accidents that happen in our industry, but we're damn good at fixing them. If something happens, it's not just going to stay there. No. If something happens, it's going to be cleaned up, and it's, the environment's going to be cleaned up better than it was before. Once again, I'm not going to talk about jobs and prosperity and tax dollars and everything else, but you know th- this just needs to stop. The anti-oil and gas activists originally try to shut down production, right? Mm-hmm. Try to 
keep us from drilling wells, what they figured out that it's more effective to keep us from moving the hydrocarbons. Yeah. If I can't move my crude from a well, why would I drill a well? And you, you want to move it in a pipeline. And what I talked about earlier is if you don't let us build pipelines, which are proven to be the safest way to move anything, that oil is still going to be moved to market, but it's going to be moved by rail and truck, which is very much, much less safe than moving a pipeline. Absolutely. So I'm glad the Minnesota court approved this. Let's, they have one more hurdle to get through. Let's just hope they, they get this thing done. Yep. Whew. So with all that said, now it's time for the giveaway. So audience here in person and audience online. If you want to win one of these really cool IBM shirts that has an antique pump jack picture on the front, our logo on one sleeve, IBM's logo on the other sleeve, and the most valuable thing is on the where the shirt pocket would be if it had a pocket. There's a unique serial number. Each shirt is individually numbered differently, so it's instantly collectible, and we're starting to give away stuff based on that number. So go to the show notes, enter. If you don't win, you can enter every week. Or I'm sorry, every month. We give away every month. one every month. And that shirt is super, super valuable. We're actually getting ready to do our first live event with IBM based upon these shirts, I think, next month. So if you haven't won one yet, you still have time to go win one. Then weekly rig count, where are we? All right. So in the United States, it's 461, so we're up five. Canada, 93, we're up 16. Internationally, 750, up 55. Up 55. Then before we get close to wind down the show, well, you have a chance. Is anybody in our live audience, anybody want to have a question? Anybody want to mention anything? Shout out Don't to your kids shy. in kindergarten. We have a microphone walk around. Yeah, quiet bunch. We should have did this. I tell you we what, should have done this before lunch. No, no, no. What? We should have did this at the bar. Oh, that's that, true. It would a totally different reaction would have done this at the bar. <laughs> I, I, I've got the feel for this crowd now. Um, <laughs> but since we're not at the bar... And if you want to keep enjoying what we're doing, go to LinkedIn, just search for OGGN and just click yes or sign up for everything that pops up. We have a company page. We have a group. We have our street team. So our all-volunteer group, Brian Mann's running that, doing an excellent job. And then if you're interested in oil and gas events, I have a monthly oil and gas events newsletter. It's free. The link's in the show notes. We take all oil and gas events that are going on, put them in one place, put it in your inbox once a month. And then we if, have the Houston Happy Hour coming up. Oh, next we do week. have the Houston Happy Hour next week. So hopefully yep. we get this show out by the It by should the time. be co- yeah. going out Saturday. Yeah. So if you're in the Houston area, uh, it's from six to nine on Thursday, the 20. Whatever Thursday is. Thursday, 28th. <laughs> That's all I got for you. <laughs> what is Thursday? I think it's the 28th. I don't know. 24th. Thursday, 24th, Thank you, 6 to 9 p.m. <laughs> Food, drinks, hang out with your oil and gas peers. We have a little presentation by HPE on some edge computing stuff. And then we donate our proceeds to local charity fighting human sex trafficking. So it's, it goes for a good cause. Yes. And then all first right. Friday Q&A. First Friday that's Q&A. That's coming up. Yep. Remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I. The goal is to help educate people. So you have a question about the industry, go ahead. Go to oilandgasthisweek.com or to OGGN.com. Click on Ask a Question. Enter your question. If we use it on the air, you'll get a big shout-out. And then finally, I want to give a big thank you to everybody here in the room. Thank you, Crossfire, for inviting us. Thank you for allowing us to record a podcast here. It was weird, Paige. So we got on the plane, and it was 100 degrees. And typically, we come Yeah, but with, like, a thousand-plus humidity. (laughs) But it was 100 degrees when we got here. I know. (laughs) But I I like it better here. It is better. Yeah, much less humidity. Yes. All right, you ready to get out of here? Yes. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for June 2021. This month, we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. 
We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is gonna be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.